You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Hey, everybody. Good to see you. Great to be back with you again on Super Bowl Sunday. Of all, of all the Sundays, I could be here with you. I love the Super Bowl um, because it's, it's kind of like a picture of the church in many ways. It's these 22 guys on a field who are absolutely exhausted and need a rest, being watched by millions of people who are probably needing exercise. You know what I mean? And so um, the, the, the kind of the rule we work with in church is like, it's called the 80-20 rule. It's this idea that a lot of times in most churches, 20% of the people are doing 80% of like the volunteering or work. And I just want to say, uh, and I've noticed this the last few times I've been at New Life, I don't think that's actually the case at New Life. I think you guys uh, are, are absolutely crushing it in terms of volunteers. Just walking in, there's like people greeting, people sweeping up the water that was like on the floor, uh, out in the parking lot, in the children's ministry, working with Trish. Uh, I know like even the sledding thing, I know Josh, uh, with your ministry, uh, people working with the student ministry, um, the band, uh, the people in the tech booth, you guys are absolutely crushing it. If you serve here or um, contribute in any way, kind of volunteering, either whether it be with the essential store or with the church on Sunday mornings or, or throughout the week, thank you so much for what you do. Uh, it makes everything, like literally, it's no joke at all, this church could not do what it's doing in the community and having the kind of impact it's having without volunteers, without people serving and using their gifts and serving in the church. And I just want to say thank you. Way to go. I mean, for somebody like me coming in, like anytime I get to visit here, I know that. And, uh, and even just Brad and Sam are able to get away on a little bit of a, a break. You're pastors, and that is just an awesome thing. And the fact that they can do that is also evidence that, it, that you guys are volunteering and serving well. And that's what allows them to even step out and take a little break together. Um, so it's exciting to be here with you today. I haven't been here in a little while. And so um, I, I want to reintroduce you to my family. If, if you Last time I was here, I think I showed you this picture. Uh, this is my family. This is my wife, Carrie. Um, there in the middle with me, and then uh, our four boys, Alan, Andrew, Aaron, and John. And the guy all, all the way over there on your far right, his name is Andrew. I'll tell you a quick story to get into what we're talking about this morning. Um, one of my favorite stories about him, and when Andrew was about 10 years old, my wife Carrie had left on a missions trip for a week to, to Ethiopia. And so she had left me in charge with the boys, which first mistake. And um, somehow during that week, they all ran out of clean clothes. Uh, I'm not really sure how that happened or, or why that happens, but they ran out of clean clothes. And my boys at the time, they were, they were in a school where uh, they had to wear like uniform shirts. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like block one color, like button down shirts. And so uh, my wife, before she left to go to Ethiopia, she had, she had found a bunch of those uniform short, shirts at a, like a secondhand store. So she bought this huge pile of these like shirts and she brought them home and, and it was like the day before she left for Ethiopia. So she just left them in a pile there. And then she, she had taken off. And so my son Andrew comes down that, you know, this morning and he says, Dad, I don't have any shirts to wear. And I said, well, you know that pile of, of shirts your mom got that she left over there before she left for Ethiopia? Just grab a shirt out of there. So he goes off and we're about to leave. I'm trying to get the kids in the car to take them to school. And Andrew comes down the stairs and he says, Dad, I think something's wrong with this shirt. And I'll never forget, I'm, I can still see him in my mind. He was standing there like doing this. And he goes, why are the shoulders so puffy on this shirt? He's just doing like this. 
And I look at the shirt, and sure enough, the shoulders are kind of puffy. And then I also notice there's like embroidering around the, the collar. And the buttons are kind of like shiny. They're kind of like fancy buttons. And so I said, well, where, did you get the shirt out of the pile where your mom left that pile of shirts for you guys? He was like, yeah. I said, okay, I'm sure it's fine. Just get in the car. We got to go. So we get in the car. I take him to school. He comes home that afternoon from school with a different shirt on that he had to get from the office, apparently, and he is mad. And he's mad at me. And apparently, here's what happened. In the first hour of school when he was there, all of his friends in his class noticed what I had missed, that he was, in fact, wearing a girl shirt. That's what he was wearing. And so they all began to make fun of him, and he had to go down to class very ashamed and humiliated and get a different shirt on. And so when he comes home, he says, Dad, how could you do this to me? Apparently, it makes you really embittered when you accidentally cross-dress. I don't know. <laughs> so he's angry, and he's angry at me. He's blaming me. And I'm like, you put this shirt on. But then I realize as the blame is coming to me, and I'm feeling the heat, I said, well, you know who's really to blame here? It's your mother. I mean... <laughs> She buys this pile of shirts and she doesn't even look through it. I mean, really, that's who's to blame. I, I tell you that story, of course, it wasn't her fault at all, but I tell you that story because I think that's oftentimes the pattern, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Whenever we experience shame in our lives, whenever there's any place in our lives where we feel shame, what we immediately move toward is covering it up and blaming someone else. You ever notice that? And I would tell you the reason that we do that is because that is the human story. That, that's been the human story ever since the very, very beginning. And so all across our Zero Collective churches for the last few, every really since uh, January started, whether you've been joining us online, it's great to have you with us, by the way, if you are watching online. Uh, we've been working our way through this series called Pursued. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the big story of Scripture. And we've been talking about how Scripture really tells a story about a God who just keeps pursuing us and pursuing us. And so we began this series, kind of the first movement was we looked at, here's how we're originally created. Here's how we were originally designed. And then what we're looking at right now is where did it all go wrong? And so if you could, um, let's, if you would join me back in the Garden of Eden again. We spent a lot of time in this series in the Garden of Eden. But here's what I want to do. I want to look at uh, this, this relationship that Adam and Eve had with each other and with God in the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve had a really good thing going. They really did. And, and what we see in their relationship is the way that God really designed us. And this is uh, the verse, Genesis 2.25, that describes the relationship that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. And what it says is the man and his wife were both what? Say that word. Naked. Good job. You guys are like, yeah, I'm in church. I'm going to say the word naked. I don't even care. I'm not going to get struck by lightning. Good for you. <clears throat> it says, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no what? They felt no shame. This is the picture of the relationship they have with one another. Um, now, the word naked there is actually the Hebrew word eram. And eram is an interesting word because when we read the, the English word naked, we just think physical. That, and, th and that's true. They were physically naked. But the Hebrew word eram is a much more all-inclusive word. It means they were completely vulnerable. They were completely transparent emotionally, uh, physically, but also spiritually, relationally. They were completely vulnerable with one another. In other words, no one was playing any head games. Uh, nobody was manipulating the other person. Nobody was lying. 
Nobody was saying that this was okay or saying this, but really this is what they were hoping the other person was going to pick up on. None of that stuff was going on. They were just completely, what you see is what you get. They were just completely vulnerable and real and transparent with each other, and they had no shame, no shame about that. This is a picture of intimacy without any kind of shame. This is the way that God actually dreamed for us to interact with one another in our, in our marriages and in human relationships and our families. And of course, that is also the relationship they, they had with each other because that's what they had with God as well. And that's our story too. What, what happens to every single one of us in our lives is at some point in our lives, we have an experience. We have uh, something that happens. We either, either it's a wound that's done to us or we fail, we make mistakes, we fall for a lie, we believe something that's not true, and what happens is uh, sin happens in our lives, and then when sin happens, shame enters our lives. And shame in, when shame enters in, we lose our childlike innocence, and we begin to experience shame. And so if I could, I want to just give us kind of a working definition of shame. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about shame and the impact it has on our lives um, this morning. And so this is just kind of my working definition of shame. There, there, there might be others out there, but this is the way I, I would describe shame. I would say shame is when we believe our failure is not just something we have done, but it is who we are. Shame impacts our lives when our failures, our mistakes, uh, we don't see them as something that we've done, but they begin to become who we are. Why is shame so debilitating? It's because it gets its hooks in us. It becomes an identity. I, I, I didn't fail. I am a failure. I am worthless. I am no good. That, that kind of messaging, that kind of thought, that's shame. That's what shame is. And what you see in the story of Adam and Eve is that this relationship they had where they were Aram, completely intimate with one another, completely vulnerable with one another, but they had no shame. When sin enters the picture and shame enters the picture as a result of sin, it breaks everything. It breaks the relationship with each other. It breaks the relationship with God. So I want to show you the, very, the verse that comes right after Adam and Eve take a bite of the fruit, right after they sin in verse 6. This is what it says in verse 7. So they just took a bite of the fruit. That's what it sounded like, by the way, too, when they took a bite of the fruit. I don't know why, but that's what it sounded like. This is verse 7. This is what it says. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. They realized they were exposed. They're Aram. They're, they're vulnerable. And so they, what they do is they sew fig leaves together, and they made what for themselves? They made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So as soon as sin enters the picture, as soon as shame enters the picture and they realize that they're naked, their solution to this, this being exposed, this uh, suddenly I realize I'm vulnerable, shame has entered my relationship, shame has entered my life in this picture, their solution is fig leaves. They make coverings. And the purpose of coverings is to hide something. It's to cover something up. It's to protect ourselves. And so if we could, let's just take a moment, again, because this story is our story. It's a story of every single one of us in all of humanity. So if we could kind of turn um, this story toward ourselves and just say, where do we see ourselves a little bit? 
Uh, if you want to go to that next slide there, the question I want us just to wrestle with for a couple minutes is, what are your coverings? Because we all have them. Every one of us in this room, every one of us watching online, we all have coverings because we all have places in our life where we've experienced shame. And we, we don't use fig leaves. That's what Adam and Eve did. Our, ours are a lot more sophisticated. Let, let me give you a few examples. For, for some of us, uh, a covering is perfectionism, right? So if, if I feel ashamed at some place in my life, what do, what do I do? Well, I just work harder to present this perfect image. I apply more makeup. I clean the house better. I, you know, I spend 20 minutes more on the treadmill working on that problem area so that I'm perfect. So all people see is this, this perfect image. It's a covering. That's what that is. It's, it's a way of dealing with uh, shame. And the problem with it is it becomes an actual barrier to experiencing true intimacy, both with our Heavenly Father and also in the most important relationships in our lives. I would tell you, I, I, you know, all addictions, they, they don't start out this way, but addictions are just a different form of coverings. Alcohol, pornography, uh, food even, these, these become coping mechanisms for the way that we cover places of shame in our lives. But coverings aren't always negative things or bad things either. Sometimes, they're, sometimes the things that become covering in our lives are actually normal things or good things. Like, for instance, possessions. I mean, we all have possessions. We all, we all need certain things in life. But whenever we feel shame, if, if what happens is, you know, I go on Amazon and I order something, and it's like every time that Amazon truck pulls up to my house, it's like a dopamine hit. <gasps> the package, here it comes again. Uh, it, it, it becomes a covering. What is that? What are, we, what are we trying to do? Why do we keep spending money we don't have? It's a covering. It, we're trying to deal ultimately with the way we feel exposed and the way, places we don't feel adequate or shameful in our lives. Work is a good thing. Work can become a covering. That, actually, that was my dad's story. I grew up in a home where my dad, just because of some of like, his brokenness and his life, uh, you know, he just, he didn't feel adequate at home. Like, especially with us kids as we were growing up, he didn't know what to do at home. He didn't feel adequate there. And so what my dad did is he just ran to the place where he did feel adequate. He was successful. He was good at his job. And so it just became about more and more and more pouring energy into that, into work, because that's where I feel adequate. And it fractured our family. It, it caused rifts and brokenness in our family as a result. It, it was a covering. Work can't be your covering. It, it won't ultimately solve the problem of shame. Uh, sometimes it's even things like our past. Maybe we're in a time of life where we don't feel that great, we don't feel that adequate, maybe there's shame, so we kind of just point back constantly to our past. I mean, we've, we've all met people like this. Some of us have done this in our lives. This is, you know, like the old guy at Salvino's during happy hour who just wants to talk about old football, high school football days, Right? Like, I'm going to, this, this time in my past where I was great, you know, that, that's a covering. I'm just going to keep pointing back to that and talking about that. It's a covering for some place where we don't feel adequate, where we feel shameful. A covering is basically anything that I add to myself to prop myself up. Anything that I add to myself to make a case for myself, to be accepted, to be, uh, you know, made lovable, 
Because what do, we, what do we do? When shame enters our lives, well, what do we do? We convince my failure is not just something I've done. My inadequacy is not just something that's happened in my past. It's who I am. And so life becomes about upgrading and finding better and better and better coverings for my shame. That, that is the human story. And the truth about humanity is that we just make terrible coverings for ourselves. <laughs> Absolutely terrible coverings. And it doesn't ultimately work. I have a good friend, um, my wife and I, and our families have been friends for years and years, and she's gone through some really hard times in her life, and a few years ago, she got into such a dark place that she actually decided to take her own life. She, she attempted uh, to take her own life, and I'm so thankful that she was unsuccessful in doing that, but that failed suicide attempt actually left her with these really deep scars in her wrists. And so her solution to that, after a period of time, is uh, she went out, as she was kind of going through her healing journey, she went out and she got these beautiful tattoos, full sleeve tattoos. And the reason she said she did is because she said, I got tired of it. Every time I look down, I see those scars. She said, now when I look down, I just see the tattoos, these tattoos that are over these scars. And if you see her, you, all you would see is the tattoos, and you wouldn't ask questions. But if you look close enough, the scars are still there. You can still see them. And that's the issue with, with our coverings. They don't ultimately work. They don't ultimately fix the problem that they're trying to cover, the shame of our lives, the places where, where we've felt inadequate. That Those coverings that we create and that we do doesn't uh, ultimately fix the problem. And so when our coverings fail us, what do we do? You see it here in the biblical story. If you want to go ahead to that next slide. When our coverings fail us, then that's when we shift to hiding and to blame. I'm not going to read it to you, but you know the story. Many of you, even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably know the story. Adam and Eve, after they make fig leaves, they hide. God comes looking for them in the cool of the day. He can't find them. And then when he does find them, he says to the man, well, why are you hiding? What's going on? And what does he say? Eve, right. This woman you put here with me, you don't even call her by her name. This woman, you, you, she's the one that did this, right? Yeah. He blames her. And, and then when God turns to her immediately, well, she, well, it's not me, it's the serpent, right? The serpent is the one who caused me to do it. They hide and they blame. This is the same thing we do. When our coverings fail us, when we get exposed, we hide and we blame. Who do we blame? Our spouse, our boss. The government, right? The liberals, the conservatives. We get into this thing, the system, our parents, it must be their fault, our church. And you just keep going down far enough down that line, and eventually the only person you've got left to blame is God. He did this to me. He's making me suffer. It must be his fault that I'm in this situation. And we believe this lie that somehow he doesn't have our best interest in mind. And then we begin to question the very fabric of our relationship with him. Uh, I actually don't want to share this with you, but Brad and, uh, asked me to. He actually encouraged me to share a little bit of my story with you. And so I'm going to uh, do that. Um, so some of my experience with, with shame and with coverings and with all that. Several years ago, um, 
I was, uh, it was kind of during a season where I, I had just taken over a couple years before being the lead pastor of the church at Frontline, one of our sister churches here in the Zero Collective that I've been a part of and served for years and years. And the load was tremendous. I felt every single day like it was bigger than I could deal with. And we also had these young kids at home. And it was during the season of life, there was a woman who was a part of the ministry at our church. And she was really involved and really active in a lot of things. And so uh, over this period of time, uh, she and I just developed a closer and closer friendship and to where we were exchanging more and more emails, more and more text messages, phone calls. It would go on and on forever. And, and what would happen slowly over this period of time is the topics of conversation in those emails, phone calls, etc., uh, started to kind of migrate from, we're talking about the church, we're talking about the ministry, we're talking about that, to we began talking about more and more deeply personal things. And, and I began just sort of like crossing the lines of what you should be sharing with someone who's not your spouse. But it still felt innocent enough. And so this, this went on for a little while. And here, here's what you need to know. I wasn't unhappy in my marriage I wasn't looking for a way out. Carrie and I weren't like at each other's throats, and I was just looking for some kind of exit ramp off of that. That's not how I felt at all. But what was going on in my life at that time is that even in the most safe and meaningful relationship of my life, my marriage, even in that relationship, I had brought shame and coverings into that relationship. And so really what was happening is I was just in this place in my life where I felt inadequate. I didn't know how to overtake, you know, all these things that were happening at work. And, and at home, they got these little kids. And it's like, man, I don't know what to do with these kids. And so then enter this woman who just everything she says to me, everything she, we're doing, it makes me feel like I, I feel adequate here. It's a covering. That relationship was, was a covering. And over a period of time, I started hiding text messages from my wife, uh, hiding emails, hiding, hiding phone conversations, and then making up reasons to talk to each other, to connect, to have meetings. And I will tell you, the only difference between um, a lot of guys who are no longer in ministry and me, the only difference is I had a friend. Uh, I had a good friend. In fact, he and I are still in each other's lives today. We run every Wednesday night. We're, we're accountability partners. And um, what happened is this friend of mine just started to spot what was happening. He just started to see the signs, and he just started to confront me on it, started to ask questions. Like, what? I mean, literally, I remember it was just like, what are you doing, man? Don't you see what you're doing? Are you hiding this? Is, you know? And when he started, actually, when he confronted me on what was happening and what was, where the direction was going with this relationship, he was, he was doing it because he loved me and he saw the direction it was going and he wanted to intersect me before it got uh, you know, too far and before something um, more physical happened. And I was angry at him. And that's what happens. When someone begins to confront our coverings, usually we get angry. And the reason we get angry is because there's shame underneath that. That's why. That's what we're covering. And so when somebody starts to rip that covering off or question it or, or point it out, we get angry. And I, I have this memory of literally standing out on the sidewalk in front of my house and just like yelling at him. This guy who loved me and who was trying to help me. I mean, I'm just like yelling. I'm so angry at him for questioning this stuff. And I look back on that now and I realize that that friend in that conversation, it, even though I hated it at the moment, it saved me. Uh, but I, but God, for God to work, I had to get broken. 
I had to confess what was going on. I had to confess it before it went any farther. I had to bring my wife into it. I even had to bring some other leaders in the church into it. And I'm grateful today for friends and for leaders, but most of all, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for a wife who, uh, my wife is, is the strongest person I know. She decided during that season to fight for her marriage and for her family uh, instead of exiting out. And I'm incredibly blessed to be in this place uh, where I'm at today. Now, why do I, why do I tell you that? Uh, there, there's more to that story, but, but why, do, why do I just stop there? Why did I take, tell you that? Why did Brad ask me to tell you that? And the, and the reason is because that's mine, but some of you have coverings that God wants to confront in your life too. Some of you have coverings that the Lord wants to put his finger on and he wants to confront. And that's exactly what he did to Adam and Eve. I mean, that's exactly the story. You look at verse 21. If you want to go ahead to that next one, verse 21 says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Now, now why did God do that? They had fig leaves on, right? But God says, no, that, that, that covering you've made, it's inadequate. And so God literally makes a covering for them. He gives them clothes. Now it says, he made garments of skin for Adam and his wife. And I know you got to love this verse in Wayland because a lot of you are hunters, right? So what's being implied here? Many scholars believe what's happening here is that this is implying that an animal, this is the first time in all of human history, an animal is killed in order to cover over the shame and the sin of a human being. Now, why does that matter? Why is that significant? The reason that's significant is because this verse and what happens in this verse becomes the basis of the entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament. So the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, there's a temple, there's an altar, and animals have to keep being brought in again, again and again and again. Animals are brought in and they are sacrificed on this altar and their blood is shed. Why? So that, so that their blood and that their sacrifice would cover over, that's the language that's used in the Old Testament, cover over the sin and the shame of the people. But animal sacrifices are inadequate. That's why they have to keep being offered again and again and again and again. As you trace this concept through the Old Testament, the sacrifices become a focal point of God's people in the Old Testament. They have to keep making these sacrifices to make these religious coverings for their sin and for their shame so they can be in right relationship again and again. But what the book of Hebrews in the New Testament tells us is that those sacrifices were temporary and inadequate. In other words, they were never meant to be the, the permanent solution. God provides for Adam and Eve, and he, he provides a sacrificial system, but it was to point to something that was going to be the ultimate fix. And in fact, I should say it was actually to point to someone who was going to become to be the ultimate fix, the ultimate uh, expression of God's love, the ultimate covering and you see it in John chapter 1 in the Gospels. John begins his gospel with John the Baptist. And this is what it says if you want to go to that verse. It says, The next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who, what does that say? Takes away the sin of the world. Now, why is that such a significant revelation that John has? When John sees Jesus for the first time, he has this revelation of who Jesus is from God. And he says, look, the Lamb of God who doesn't cover over, right? That's the language all throughout the Old Testament. The sacrificial system, it was to cover over the sins and the shame. When God kills an animal and makes skins for Adam and Eve, it's to cover over. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who's here to take it away, who's here to, to end it once and for all. He's not here to be a better covering. 
He's here to completely end it. Jesus is the ultimate shame lifter because he took our shame and our sin on himself. What we deserved, he took in our place on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice once and for all that when we put our hope and our faith and our trust in him, we don't need our coverings anymore because our shame is his to bear now. And we can live in ultimate vulnerability, transparency. We can live in intimate relationships with him, with our, Father, with our Heavenly Father, and with each other when he is our Savior, when he is the one who's taken our shame. I love how Paul puts this in Romans 8. If you want to go to that? Romans 8, uh, verse 1, it says, Therefore, this is for you, this is for all of us who have put our faith in Christ, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Do you understand the significance of what that's saying? There is no condemnation for you anymore when you are in Christ Jesus because he took the shame on you anymore. Why, why can I talk about the emotional affair? Why can I talk about uh, what, what happened in my life and what happened? It's because it's his now. It's no longer mine. What I did, that, that's something I did, but it is not who I am. Do you see the difference? It's like that hymn that we sing all the time. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. That's freedom. Amen. And I'm, I'm here today to tell you that freedom, that the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death, that freedom is for you. It's, if freedom is for you. If you're watching online, if you are in this room, he did that for you. It's not just for, for certain people. It's for all of us. Your mistakes are not something you have done. They are, your mistakes are something you have done, but they are not who you are. They're not your identity. That's not what God has for you. You're a child of God. You've been ransomed and redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so here's what I want to invite us to do. The band's going to um, make their way um, back up. And I just want to enter into uh, just a time of reflection. You know, when you talk about something like this, you talk about, uh, you know, shame, the ways that we cover our shame, uh, the ways that when our coverings don't work and break down and we, we begin to hide and we begin to blame others. I mean, I just described to you everything we look around and see in our world, right? It's, it's human relationships at their worst. It's, it's Russia and Ukraine right now. I mean, it's, it's just every, everything you see is just the breakdown of, of human relationships and society. And yet we've got the answer. <laughs> we know, I should say we know the answer. We know who he is. And so all I want to do this morning is I just want us to spend a little bit of time and just reflecting. Go ahead, if you will, to that last question. What dangerous cling covering are you clinging to? What is it for you? What covering are, are you uh, clinging to? And it may not be something bad. Other people may not be looking at it and going, man, you know, that's some evil, horrible thing. It may be something that's good, but it's just become an ultimate thing for you. 
It's becoming, again, a covering is anything we use to kind of add to ourselves, to prop ourselves up, make a case for ourselves other than God, other than Christ, to say, look, look, here's my value. Here's my worth. See, I am not, you know, all these things I've done. I'm this because, you know, this proves it. Look at my reasons for being accepted. And the reason I say dangerous, the reason those things are dangerous is because anything that, any covering that we're trying to use other than Jesus will ultimately leave us high and dry. It'll ultimately lead to more shame, more brokenness. It won't work. It won't cover over. So can you identify it? Because you, we all have them. And it may be different things at different seasons of life or different ones of us. But the only solution, the only solution is to come to a place where we confront our coverings in prayer. We have, to, we have to get to a place, I mean, like we were just saying a minute ago, where we're broken, where we're, uh, we're done hiding, and where we just allow God to enter into those places. We've got to confront those coverings. We've got to name them. We've got to confess them and in prayer. And then from there, we begin to claim our true identity in Christ and live out of our true identity in Christ. And so... Um, I wasn't planning to end this way, but um, I think I think we should end this way. Uh, we're going to have a time of prayer in this room, and I, I'd love um, the band's going to sing a song, which strangely is like the perfect song I think um, uh, for today. And so I want to invite you as as this song is saying, um, we can stand in the room. We can go ahead and stand up if you're here in the room. If you're watching online, I invite you just to stay online with us. Stay stay with us in this moment. Um, but maybe just as the song is being prayed, spend some time, confess your covering to the Lord. Even as the words of this song kind of pour over this room and pour through online, uh, just begin to confess your coverings. Confront those coverings in prayer and say, God, this is, this is the thing. I've, I look at, I've tried to make a case for myself. I've tried to fix this shame that I feel here in this way. And just begin to give it to him and say, God, I want my true identity in you. I, I want to live out of that. I want the power that comes when I'm living uh, through you. And then I would love, if, if you feel led to, you can move around this room. You can kneel down at your chair as these words are being sang. If that's an easier posture for you, you can come up front if you want. If you want to just kind of gather around here, if that's meaningful for you to do, then do it. I'm not trying to get you to do it if it's not. If you're online, maybe just let, as the words of this song are, are sang, just allow yourself to put yourself in a posture of saying, Lord, I'm confronting this covering and I'm lifting you up, my true identity you, and then I'd love to close this in prayer after the song.